Hello and welcome to Living Proof, the Isaac Newton Institute podcast. My name is Dan Aspel and I'm your host. In this episode, myself and Maha Khoury are joined by presenter, writer and comedian Tamandra Harkness. The author of Big Data, Does Size Matter? and fellow of the Royal Statistical Society will be talking to us about her current projects and how she came to fall in love with mathematics from an arts and humanities background. We hope you enjoy the episode. So, welcome to Living Proof, Tamandra Harkness. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. This interview will mostly be led by Maha Khoury, who is the other person in this conversation. Hello. Uh, so, without further ado, I shall let the two of you uh, converse, and I very much look forward to joining in wherever I can. Great. Thank you, Dan. So, this podcast is kind of a follow-on from the Communicating Maths Mathematics for the Public event that we held um, back in January. Um, so that was the Newton Gateway um, who kind of delivered this event and um, it was it took place at the Isaac Newton Institute. And at that event, Tamandra kindly chaired two sessions. So one of them was a three-minute rapid-fire interview session where we had about 15 people come up and get quizzed on the spot by Tamandra about communicating maths. And then another session on pandemic and other emergencies. So that was a panel discussion session. Um, and I just thought to mention that we had some really great feedback about Tamandra's um, involvement in this event. So uh, someone said the three-minute interactive session was excellent. Tamandra is a brilliant chair. Another person said three-minute interviews were very interesting and enjoyable, also thanks to Tamandra. So, um, it, yeah, it was really because of Tamandra's like varied background, we thought it would be really a great opportunity to have her on this podcast. So we kindly welcome her. Um, and I wanted to ask um, my first question, Tamandra, is on, um, so you're kind of in the front line of mass communication in some way as a presenter and writer. And I wondered, how did you find the event and what did you take from it? Yeah, I find it really interesting because it was such a mixture of people like me who are, I mean, I am technically a mathematician in that I've got an undergrad math stats degree, but I, I pretty much scraped it really. <laughs> uh, uh, but then the, but I am primarily a communicator. And then there were people who primarily do maths or statistics or modeling. Um, and then the communication has in some cases been thrust upon them and in some cases obviously something they enjoy and a whole a whole range of backgrounds. So for that reason, I found it a very interesting and stimulating an event. And I felt that everybody was learning something new from somebody else. And it was such a nice change to get all that range of people in in a room for a couple of days so that we, we could actually all exchange ideas and experiences together. Um, I also, I would like, despite everybody's very kind comments, I should take no credit for the three-minute interviews because that wasn't my idea. I think that was Tom King and Kevin McConway's idea. Um, all I did really was get people on and off the stage and in some cases ask them a few questions if they were if they were feeling shy. <laughs> no, I think you executed it really well and, and that came across. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned um, that you have a bachelor's degree, I believe, um, during the event and, and just now uh, in maths and stats from the Open University. Um, and 
Um, that's why you met Kevin McConway, one of the co-organizers for the event. Um, and I just wondered, where did your interest in maths and statistics come from? Um, was it like early on, or did it just something that was it something that came up during your career? Well, a bit of both, really. I always liked maths at school, so I did A level maths. Uh, not really with a view to using it in my career, but just because I enjoyed it. Uh, and then. Somewhat later in life, after I'd done, I did my first degree in film and theatre and art, went off and had a, you know, pretty much still have a humanities based career. Uh, and then I just found that I was missing the maths. And in fact, I can put my finger on the moment. I was watching a TV series with Marcus de Sotoy in. Uh, who, I'm sorry, I know he's from the other place. He's from Oxford, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> we'll anyway. edit that bit out, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Marcus Asoto, I think it was a history of mathematics, and I I was watching it, and I found myself thinking, well, I'm enjoying this, but there's not really enough maths in it. And so I thought, hmm, maybe I should just go and study some more maths. And at that point, with the Open University, you could, I don't know if you still can, but you could just sign up and do a course. Mm -hmm. So I went and found a course that was about my level uh, and did that for a year and really enjoyed it. Just that the challenge, I was one of those students at that point who would go off and try and find proofs online. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I did another one the next year. And after a few years, it happened that they said, oh, well, we're being made to change our fee structure. So if you want to carry on with us, either your fees are going to go up massively or if you're working towards a degree, they will stay at the same level you're paying now. So, so it was slightly, oh, well, you know, I might as well carry on. And obviously I don't want my fees to triple. Yeah. So, so why not? But then it did slightly change in the course of it. So at that point I was really essentially doing pure maths for fun and I, I know I'm in a safe space here where uh, you understand why somebody might do that <laughs> but then I was becoming more and more interested in the way that statistics in society were being viewed as something rather special even by people who unlike me and quite possibly you don't think maths is fun and in fact in some cases, I think hate and fear maths is not putting it too strongly. And yet these same friends who would run a mile if I tried to show them an equation, if you show them some statistics in a newspaper, preferably a graph or a pie chart or something or just a percentage, they would get very excited and think this was wonderful. So I thought then, well, this is interesting. There's obviously something social going on that gives statistics at that point and then shortly afterwards data this rather sacred status this elevated status so then I started writing about those kinds of issues in my if you like my day job as a as a journalist and non-fiction writer and so then it also became something that was useful to me in my work to actually understand some of how this works I mean don't get me wrong I still wouldn't get a job as a data analyst or anything <laughs> or even a statistician. Uh, but I do at least now feel that I understand some of the core principles. I understand enough to ask the right questions, maybe, when I do talk to data analysts and statisticians. So, yeah, so it's slightly roundabout journey, really, and possibly a bit different from most people's roots into mathematics. Yeah, no, um, that, that's really fascinating to 
to hear that you went from a different kind of humanities background into maths. Um, and yeah, so I also, I, I noticed that you've, you've got a book out as well uh, on big data. So was that something that came about um, during your degree or, or how did you kind of get to a point where you felt you could write um, about big data? I think it was about, yes, it was kind of in parallel, really. Yeah. And it was that thing of uh, having having noticed my maths-hating friends getting very excited about statistics in the newspapers, I then started to notice a kind of a new wave of people who didn't really understand statistics or data getting very excited about data. And, and I think you still notice this now that some of the people who get most excited about what you can do with data or big data, as we called it then, uh, are actually humanities graduates who don't really know how it works. But because of that, it's got this mystique. It's like, well, I'm terribly clever and I don't understand it. So it must be really, really clever, <laughs> which I mean, obviously it is really clever. But uh, yeah, I do think it has this this slightly mystical status. So again, I, I was interested in two ways. I was interested, the mathsy side of me thought, actually, this is terribly clever. And there's all sorts of things you can do by analysing data that really give us new ways of seeing the world or even ourselves. And that's very exciting. And then if you like the humanities side of me or the journalist side of me was fascinated by the way that other people were fascinated. So I was I was a bit like, well, is it this amazing thing that's going to change the world or is it something on which people are pinning their hopes because they fear an uncertain future and they think that maths or statistics or data can give them certainty about the future. And that by the time I'd finished writing the book, I kind of thought, well, actually, I think it's both. I think it can do really clever things. And also, it's got this slightly mystical status. Uh, and the two overlap, although not entirely. I, I still feel like we're underusing its potential in many ways. And then in other ways, slightly aggrandizing what you can do with it in a you know, way that outstrips what you can actually do with it. I mean, you know, the latest example is all this AI stuff with the, the, the language learning models that are being treated as mystical oracles and people go and have conversations with them and then come back going, oh, well, apparently this model doesn't know anything about the world and cannot be relied upon because it's just predicting the next word. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what they're designed to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you ever thought this was going to have a godlike oracular knowledge of the world. It's literally based on things humans have said and on the basis of that's going to predict what the next word is yeah so that that was one project uh, that you've been involved in that that I've heard about um are there any other projects that you're currently working or or most recently have been working on um that have been um, quite exciting for you so I know you're involved in a few shows um radio shows and things like that um in the past um but yeah is that is there anything else yeah, I'm doing bits and bobs of radio. I mean, there's from time to time, I do resume my life as a comedian, which mm -hmm. I've kind of lapsed, but I, I have done a number of shows about maths and science. Uh, I did a couple of shows with Matt Parker, who's 
oh, yeah. uh, well known as a stand-up mathematician he did a show about the maths of death back when that was still funny um and <laughs> to, and we've taken so it shows to the edinburgh fringe and toured them that will be took to australia as well uh and that's that's fun because you're essentially you're going out to people who are under no obligation to listen to you or be interested in what you have to say so you really have to find things that are of interest to non-mathematicians as well as mathematicians yeah. i mean it turns out you know things like death actually are quite interesting to most people um uh and risk i did one on risk in 2019 again you know while that was still funny yeah um uh so I'm, i may well end up going back and doing some more of that right now i'm writing another book which is slightly less technical than the big data book it's it's about why everything is personalized today so obviously there's technology in there and data gathering profiling targeting is part of it but as i was writing i became more interested in what are the social historical trends that mean that we kind of want everything to be personalized i suppose so uh that's that's my main project at the moment which maths is important but not not the only theme there's yeah, a, yeah. an interesting thread i thought um through at, at least the last couple of answers when uh, you're talking about matt parker for example um another similar kind of uh hybrid person if i can say that <laughs> uh, to, to yourself um I'm very curious, are there many people like you, someone who has an arts background, but a love of mathematics and uh, a, you know, is literary in mathematics, um, literate, sorry, in mathematics. Are there many people like you, Tamandra, or are, are there too few? Uh, that's a really interesting question. I think there probably are. I think, I think there are quite a lot of people, perhaps it's more common to move in the other direction, if you like, to, to get in depth into mathematics and then give yourself room to explore your humanities interest. I mean, if you, again, if you think of Marcus de Soto, obviously starts off as a bona fide mathematician, but is also always interested in music and theatre and now feels confident to go and explore those using his mathematics. And, and Matt's rather the same. I think, again, he's a, you know, he's a bona fide mathematician, but also exploring his love of performance and, and comedy. I think perhaps people like me who come the other direction feel less confident about the maths. Uh, in my case, with good reason. I, was saying, cause I, I bumped along, I got a 2-2, but I'm, I'm no maths prodigy. Uh, and, I, and perhaps there is always that slight feeling of, oh, I better not stick my neck out too far because some proper mathematician will come and catch me out. Uh, Whereas I actually do have a number of friends, as well as the ones who are terrified of actual maths, who really enjoy it and love the opportunity to talk to me about some puzzle they found or some recent finding or some new technology or, or statistical thing that's come out. So it would be quite nice, I think, if... <laughs> If more humanities people could come out as closet mathematicians and say, you know, at least a bit maths curious. You know? yeah. <laughs> because I I do think, and I think also some people do enjoy it if you trick them into, by not saying it's maths, which I know sounds awful, but so I got talking to a woman in an art shop when I was doing the 
um, undergrad degree with the Open University. And I used my student card to get a reduction on some art materials. And so I get talking to the woman in the art shop. She said, so what are you studying? And I said, oh, maths. <laughs> and she was a bit confused. And then I started talking to her about the four colour problem, uh, about, you know, what's the minimum number of colours you need to colour a map with no two countries in the same no two touching countries in the, in the same colour. And she was absolutely fascinated by this, as well she might be. And, of course, that is maths. It's You don't need any numbers for it. Well, I suppose you need, okay, you need the numbers up to four, <laughs> but you don't need any complicated arithmetic to do that. And you can grasp quite intuitively what the problem is and why you might want to solve it. Uh, and yet it's very accessible. To, to a lot of people. So I think there's room for a lot more of that where you can kind of sidestep the bits of maths that people found traumatic at school because they didn't understand it and the teacher didn't realise or moved on too quickly and they kind of fell off the maths bus and have been sitting at the roadside ever since. You know, we've come along with our non-numerical maths I'm running out of analogy here. <laughs> a maths, a maths ambulance. Um, pick, the, pick them all up. <laughs> so uh, you spoke yeah, there a bit. Yeah. yeah. So you spoke there a bit about how um, you make maths interesting to people, but how do you take it a step further and make it funny as a comedian? Oh, okay. This is it's a really hard question because there's a lot of things about maths I just think are funny, um, and. I don't see it necessarily as that separate from the rest of the world. So there's, you, so in a way, I think it's the same problem as making anything funny, that you you look for the things that are absurd or you exaggerate things that that are normal uh, until they become funny, uh, or you or you you bring in a a series of things so people think they know where you're going and then you take them off at a, a sideways lurch and and they laugh in surprise. And all of those are just basic ways that comedy works. I mean, comedy is disappointingly mechanical in some ways that if you, I mean, there's all this stuff about, oh, it has to be true to be funny. And I'm afraid it doesn't have to be true to be funny. It has to be structured right. It's, it's a little bit like engineering, really. It's like if you put the parts together in the right way, it will work. Uh, it's not, it's not rocket science. Um, so when it comes to making maths funny, I think, okay, so I think the thing that's particularly hard about that is most comedy relies on a certain assumed level of common knowledge with the audience because ultimately when you get to a punchline, you need the person, the audience, to go there themselves and 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 get there on their own account and they go oh oh i didn't expect to end up here in maths that can be hard because you don't necessarily know whether your audience does share your level of knowledge so and especially if it's a mixed audience if you like of people who are there for the maths and people who are there for comedy mm -hmm. so that that's where it does become tricky because you, you then face the thing of well do i need to somehow tell them what they need to know earlier on without them noticing so that when I get to the punchline they're there with me or do I have to make a guess at what they know or do I have to get around it in some other way I, I think this is probably 
a problem with any kind of humour that assumes a particular, if you like, technical knowledge or you know, slightly specialist knowledge. Of course, what the flip side is that people who do get it have the added pleasure of feeling terribly clever because they're like, oh, oh, yes, I understood that. I understood it so instantly that my brain knew to laugh at it. Uh, but it's, it, all this is easier if you're doing a long show, if you're doing an extended mm. show like an hour at Edinburgh, you can bring people with you on the journey very, very easily. If you're just trying to tell a few jokes, then it's it's more tricky. Uh, I mean, I just fall back on puns. My my favourite maths joke of my own, I'm afraid. Well, actually, there's two. There's what is a statistician's favourite sandwich filling? Correlation chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and slightly less technical knowledge required. Why should you never tell a statistician he was average? Because it's mean. <laughs> <laughs> I love these. These are great. This yeah. is just my level. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the second one, I honestly think almost anybody will get that because most people have at least heard the word mean for average and know that it's a technical term for average. The early one, maybe not so much, but then they will laugh and laugh just at the silliness of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question. What's your, what are your go-to um, <laughs> jokes, maths jokes? Wow, there you are. You just had them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so we've spoken about current projects and things that you've um, done in the past. Are there any exciting things coming up? So you mentioned one of your books. Um, is there somewhere where people can catch you live? Um, maybe so in the past you've done Edinburgh Fringe. Yes, I I have no immediate plans to do that again because I I have to get this book finished, and it becomes a bit all consuming. After that, I might well think about that uh, again. Uh, what have I got coming up? I'm literally looking at my notice board with things coming up. I'm doing a panel event for Turing in March, mm-hmm. uh, which is about uh, oh, I'm not going to tell you because I might get it wrong. Uh, <laughs> but it's it will be about uh, AI and data. So uh, you know, quite often I will I will pop up talking about. Really, I think I I'm quite good on the the hinterland between hardcore statistics and data and society. Uh, that you you know you wouldn't hire me to explain to you in detail how data analysis works, but. Although you might hire me to explain it to someone completely non-technical so they don't get scared and run away, I suppose. Uh, but but you might hire me to come and say, well, you know, how is this likely to affect society? What's what does or what do these discussions reveal about our preoccupations? I mean, I, I was I still think it's really interesting that we somehow have this desire and this fantasy, if you like, that if you just get enough data and a big enough computer then the future will suddenly become predictable and controllable. And I just have to keep saying, I, that's not how the future works. When you live in a world full of human beings and that makes it inherently unpredictable. Yeah. So, which is not to say we shouldn't use data and statistics and modeling and maths to try and project patterns into the future and then make our own predictions. But we we should recognise that these are models based on human decisions and the predictions are human interpretations of the models. And we are trying to use our subjective knowledge as best we can to make a guess at what the future will be so that we can have some control over it. 
sorry, that's that's rather downbeat, wasn't it? I just, I don't mean to. <laughs> I always feel a bit bad about this because people often say, you know, they get me into to say, oh, what are the privacy concerns about AI, and you know, what are the bad things about it? And I do. At the end of the day, I think it's a fantastic human achievement to be able to use the human mind to gather knowledge and put it together in these new ways, which do help us predict the future. I mean, you you know, you really can especially more technical things like the fact we can predict when an aircraft engine is likely to fail. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, it mm. saves lives, it saves money, all this kind of thing. So I try not to be too down on it all. It's, uh, But I think I just constantly want to warn people, like, you know, have an idea of its limitations. Don't, don't hand over all your human wisdom and agency to a machine that some people built. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of ethical um, considerations to make and I think that's that's quite a hot topic as well in AI uh, these days but no that, that's really great to hear um, uh, where where we can catch you next I guess um, so Dan did you have anything you wanted to follow up on? I was only going to mention that uh, I'll put it in the show notes but uh, it's samandraharkness.com isn't it where people can find your uh, current activities that's right. links to everything yes. about you more or less. Uh, I don't update it as often as I should. Probably the best way to keep on top of what I'm doing is uh, Twitter, where I am Timandra Harkness, but you have to leave the last S off because my parents apparently didn't foresee the character length of Twitter handles. <laughs> it's very, very careless of them. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to say I find it very reassuring, actually, your uh, doubts about AI. Um, that's... Because I, I, it seems to be uh, uh, quite a popular opinion that it's all going to be, uh, you know, like an almost godlike uh, being which is going to oversee all of us. And I, I'd rather we didn't have that, to be honest. Um, and <laughs> the fact that you think it's going to be as frail as anything that humans could make is very reassuring indeed. So thank you for that, Timandra. <laughs> I, I, it does amuse me that often the more people know about whatever it is, modelling, AI, uh, data analysis, the more sceptical they are about what it can do. That it's the people who build robots that say, look, we, we could just about make one that goes upstairs now, but it can't make you tea and then bring it upstairs. That's too much. <laughs> and the other people are going, oh, no, robots will be able to do your job for you in about a week. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, I find it very reassuring. So thank you. <laughs> um, no, so I, I didn't have any other questions. Um, and uh, it sounds like we're uh, at the end of what we wanted to ask you, Tamanda. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. Um, I thank hope you. you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And thank you very much for letting me be part of the uh, the event in Cambridge. As I say, I find it so stimulating. I hope you're going to do some more similar things in the future. And if you want me to come back and share anything, uh, I'm I'm very available. We'll put your name down. There's definitely going to be some kind of follow-up from that, um, given the positive response. So we'll keep you in, keep you in the loop. Yeah, Good. and Maha was the mastermind. So, uh, she's, no, she's there's the definitely to Tom King and, and Kevin McConnell. <laughs> way i should mention them <laughs> i suspect you made it happen though which is a, <laughs> an absolutely crucial and often undersung part of the whole shebang <laughs> thank you yeah, absolutely yes and on that note thank you very much and uh, we will see you again as uh, very soon we hope i hope so thanks sure. very much Cheers. bye, bye.